0: Good morning, everybody. It's nice to see everyone once again. Uh, It's always a a privilege and an honor to come together to to worship God, Uh, not just with our own worship, but to come together collectively, and so it's a joy to be with you again this morning. Um, And before I go any further, I have to share with you a proud dad moment that has happened over the past few weeks uh, my oldest son, Isaac, he's seven now, but he has been introduced not just to understanding the concept of, of how to play uh, a, a video game, which as a, a nerd for me, that's a, a huge thing, but not just the video game itself, but the, what the video game is, he's, he's jumped in head first to Lego Star Wars, and he is fully immersed in the world of Star Wars, and my heart is beaming. I love it. I'm so excited because I grew up watching all of these movies and uh, when they re-released them in the theaters, my cousin and I, we would go see them on opening night every time. These movies played such a huge part in, in me growing up uh, in just the, the storytelling, but even the overarching theme of redemption, the Star Wars stories played a huge part in me and, and my outlook on life. And, but as I, I was growing up watching them, uh, at least the original trilogy, you grow up thinking that Star Wars is all about Luke Skywalker. But then when the prequels started coming out in 1999, you realize that Luke is not the main focus of the Star Wars story, but the story is actually all about Anakin. And spoiler alert, For those of you that have lived under a rock for the past 30-something years, Anakin is the one that grows up to be Darth Vader, who is Luke's father. I know, huge reveal, but sorry, I spoiled that for you. But George Lucas, when he was creating this story, he took these concepts and ideas that became the original trilogy, and for, for years that was all that we knew of this world of Star Wars, but... From him, in his mind, as the the one who created this world, who created these characters, for him, the overarching story was always about the fall and redemption of Anakin Skywalker and the The prequels gave insight into who he was and into his fall and Then we see what we know as as Luke to come in and and bring in. The redemption for Anakin. But it, it's a beautiful story because you see that the story of Anakin is a story written with a purpose. He's not just a flat two-dimensional character that he's a bad guy and oh he's out of the way now. But no, he was once a, a, a wonderful character who, who fell into his own temptation and his own son is the one that brings him out of that and into redemption And when I see that story and I see the story that he was, that character was created with a purpose, on a much grander and much more real scale, you and I were created with purpose as well. Your life is not an accident, it's not some cosmic happenstance, it's not some kind of genetic coincidence. You were created with and for purpose. In fact, all of creation has been created with purpose. We see in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God. Even just looking at creation itself, one can look and see that there is something beyond creation itself. And you and I are part of that creation. And here in this letter to the church of Ephesus, In Ephesians 2, Paul is saying that the Christian life should tell the story of God's glory. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean for that to rhyme like that. It just kind of happened naturally, but I stuck with it. But the Christian life should tell the story of God's glory. Just like Luke's purpose in being created was to redeem Anakin, you were created for the purpose of telling the story and displaying the glory of God. Call it your own story, call it your testimony, call it whatever you will. It doesn't matter what you call it. But without fail, there are certain elements on this story of glory that, that's on display. When you tell the story of God's glory, uh, especially when you look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we see three elements that just stand out. First, in verses 1 through 3, You have to remember who you once were. And second, in verses 4 through 7, you have to remember who you have become. And lastly, in verses 8 through 10, and most importantly, you have to remember who made you that way. Before we go any further, let us pray for God's blessing on this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this time that we can come and worship. We can sing songs of adoration and praise. We We can sit and offer our prayers before You. We can sit and have Your Word pierce our hearts. And God, we pray that in this time that this would not just be my effort. This would not be my ability. These would not just be my words, but that your spirit would be here with us, that you would speak through a broken man like myself to bring your truth and your gospel to change our hearts and transform our minds. Be, be with us in this time now. We pray in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Now, in order to first Or in order to tell the story of God's glory, you first have to remember who you once were. We see in verses 1-3, through And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. I've gotten to this point in my life now where I have been to a lot of funerals. I know that's a, a very depressing way to start getting into to a sermon, but it's this realization that there is heartache and death. Around us constantly, Uh, and and especially at this point in my life, I've actually I I, I'm going to more and more funerals of people my own age or younger. I actually uh, had the uh, honor and privilege of officiating a funeral last year uh, for an extended cousin uh, who was 19 years old, and it was this heart-wrenching reminder of the brokenness that's in the world around us every single day. And, but there's one thing that all of these funerals have had in common. It's that the only person there that's not doing anything is the dead person. And I know that seems very evident and, and, and obvious, and I'm not trying to, to be crass or insensitive about that, but each one of those funeral services or memorial services, there are people that are, are there grieving and weeping and crying and uh, sharing stories of, of what this person has meant to them. And there's even the, the people, if only I had just, or if, if this had been different, almost like they're begging God, Can something please change in this broken situation? But the hard reality is that the dead cannot will themselves back. They do not have the power to change their their certain situation. And the the sharing of these memories and stories of, of the loved ones that we have lost a dead person cannot say, you know what, that's a convincing argument. I changed my mind. I'm coming back. The dead cannot change their situation because dead is dead. And that is how Paul describes the natural state of the human heart. When he describes me, when he describes you, he says that you your heart, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. And just like every person that we've ever lost, there's nothing that we can do to change that state. He said that in our, our, our spiritually dead state that we follow the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. This is uh, a description of the enemy, of, of Satan, the, the one who rebelled against God and who tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. This is the, the one who tries to not just distract us from God, but destroy God's people. And this is the state that we all once lived in. This isn't just for the really bad stories. For those of you that like to binge watch on Netflix, this isn't just your Ted Bundy or your serial killer documentary kind of people. All of us, you and I, we're all in this state of being dead in our sin. Because that is the natural state of the human heart. That you and I were led and influenced by the enemy naturally, that we submitted our, ourselves and our actions to the passions of our flesh and the desires of the body. Now, you might not have jumped all in and, and lived as as uh, uh, sinfully as you might have wanted to. You might not have one of those drastic testimonies of of the, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But scripturally, God says that you and I were dead in our sin. And you might even be saying right now, well, not me. I wasn't that bad. You know, I might have done some things wrong, but I I wouldn't call myself dead. Uh, You know, I I might have... I've made some bad choices. I made some mistakes. I was led astray. Well, ever since... Sin was introduced in Genesis 3 when when Adam and Eve chose their own path instead of obeying God. All of creation from that point is trapped and tainted by the effects of sin. In Psalm 51, David acknowledges his own sin by saying, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. The one that scripture describes as being after the heart of God himself admits that when he was born he was born into sin that that is the natural state of human birth and it's hard to believe that because we don't like to admit our weaknesses and our failures If you're anything like me, that you don't want to admit that you cannot help yourself. But according to Scripture, when you were born, you were born sinful. Every baby, every child has been born sinful, considered spiritually dead. And as I said before, dead is dead. It's not sick. It's not simply misinformed. Dead means unable to act. You cannot overcome enough. You can't change your your mental paradigm of, about how you approach life or the philosophy that you have. You cannot will yourself out of sin. Because the dead are unable to save themselves. But thankfully, the story does not end there. There's darkness before light. Because at this point, in the realization of the the depth and the depravity of your own sin and your own heart, God steps into creation. And so whenever you're telling the story of God's glory, after you've remembered who you once were, Scripture calls you to remember who you have become. I don't know how much you uh, know about uh, storytelling or or, or writing or character writing or or story development, things like that, but there's an element used uh, in in stories for centuries, and this is a, a, ter, a term coined in the, the Greek storytelling uh, uh, plays and and, uh, and so forth but there 's a term called the the Deus ex machina God out of the machine and originally this term comes from the machine that would bring the, these characters who are playing deities into the stage, but it has, come, it has become known as uh, a storytelling element that whenever characters are trapped or or the the situation has become so impossible that they cannot save themselves, all of a sudden, some seemingly random event has happened to completely change the situation for the characters and to bring hope and salvation. It's a storytelling element. the, The deus ex machina the solution and salvation that seemingly comes out of nowhere. And thankfully, for the human heart, this is what's described in verses 4-7, through but without the machine. Because all of mankind, Paul says, is dead in sin, unable to save themselves. You and I are unable to save ourselves, but God steps in. In verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches Of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. But God. Those are possibly two of the most hopeful words you will ever read in Scripture. Anywhere. You were dead in your sin. But God. Out of the richness of His mercy, out of the great love with which He loves, God is moved to action. And that is why we come together every week. That is the Gospel. That you and I, you were dead in your sin, unable to save yourself, unable to change your deadness. But God Steps in. And He sends His Son to take your place. To take the punishment that you and I deserve. And He takes your sin and it is nailed with Him to the cross. But God does not stop there. He does not just take your sin upon Himself, but gives you the righteous status that Christ alone has So you were dead in your sin and God steps in and gives his own son to take your punishment and give you his righteousness and because of that you were called sons and daughters of the living God You were dead in your sin but God Paul says, made us alive together with Christ. Raised up with Him. Seated with Him in the heavenly places. This is a much greater version of what happens to Lazarus in John chapter 11. That when Lazarus has died and Jesus shows up, And people are complaining, especially Mary and Martha are saying, if you had just shown up earlier, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen straps and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. literally dead and unable to save Himself, Jesus steps in and says, Lazarus, come out. You're alive again. And this is the impact and the glory of what God has done for His people. This is what God has done for you. That when you were dead in your sins, Jesus Christ says, come out. Be alive. The glory of God revealed through Jesus Christ has made you alive. It is by grace that you have been saved. You have been raised up and seated with Christ. You have are seated with Him in the heavenly places. And this is a status that you have as one of God's people, as one of God's children, that you are declared righteous and raised up with Jesus. But there's also the tension of we're not there yet. Spiritually, we have been made alive. We have been given life, but we have not seen glory yet. But the question is, has this truly taken root in the way that you view yourself? Because God already sees you that way. He has already declared you righteous. You are covered with Christ in His eyes. But do you see yourself that way? If you truly viewed yourself as one who has been brought out of death and into life, how would that change the way that you view you? How would that change the way that you look at yourself when you look in the mirror? Or the way that you talk about yourself? How would that change the way that you view your relationships with those around you? The people that you go to school with? The people that you work with? If you truly saw yourself as one being brought out of death into life, how would that shape the way That you wake up and leave the house to go wherever it is that you go every day of the week. Do you see yourself as one who has been brought out of death into life? That you were unable to save yourself, but yet you were so loved by God that He made you alive in Christ. And why has He done this? Paul says in verse 7, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That you are a living billboard. One of the things that I've noticed about moving back to the, to the North Charleston area are all those benches that are by the, the roadside and, and, and almost every single one says, you are proof that this sign works. And they want you to advertise on their little billboard on the bench. But that's what you are. That's what your life is as a Christian. That you are a living billboard declaring the glory of God. That your billboard says, I once was dead. And now I'm alive. I once but lost, but now I am found. Your billboard says, God's love brings life. And then we look at what Paul writes next. And it's a wonderful reminder because I don't know about you, but when I tell the story of my own life, I want to be the hero of my own story. We want to say, look at what I have done. And so Paul includes these next two verses to remind us that whenever you're telling the story of God's glory, that first you have to remember who you once were. And then you have to remember who you have become. But most importantly, you must remember who is the one that made you that way. Paul says, for by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. Emphasis on so that no one may boast. Oftentimes, whenever I'm helping around the household, which I admit I do not do enough, I'm publicly admitting that to you right now, Amy. But whenever I do these things I, because I know that her love languages are words of affirmation and acts of service I always want to point out look what I'm doing, I did the dishes I put the food away, I loaded the dishwasher which I didn't do last night and I'm sorry but, but I do these things and I, and I want to say look at the things that I have done but I'm trying to claim credit for the things I'm already supposed to be doing be, but I'm doing this because I want to be the hero. I want to say, "Look at what I've done. I want you to love me more because of the things that I have done." But thankfully, God's love is not dependent upon our action, but that is how you and I treat God. And Paul says, "No. no, 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 no. God did this as a gift. He did this first for you so that way no one can boast. No one can claim credit and say, look at what I have done. And then in verse 10, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are the workmanship of of God. You were designed and created by God specifically the way that you are. You are not an accident. You are not a coincidence. You were created and designed with purpose because you are the workmanship of God. But not just for glory or for your own glory. But Paul says that you were created in Christ for good works. Not to earn God's love, not to do enough works to make God love you more, but you were created for good works out of God's love. That you have been so changed and impacted and redeemed and alive in what God has done for you that good works naturally flow. That's what we kept... seeing over and over in the book of James that the love of God should drive the Christian to action and to good deeds. But I want you to think about that for a moment. Let that sit. Let that set in that God made you as a display of His workmanship. That you were created in Christ for good works. All of you, not just all of you, but all of you, your talents, your passions, your resources, your personality traits, your strengths, and your weaknesses are all part of the workmanship that God created in you, and all to do good works in and through Jesus Christ. Personally, what does that even look like for you? As a display of His glory, as a display, as a display of, of His creativity, of His workmanship. The way that God has designed you. How does that impact where you go to school? Where you go to work? The neighborhood that you live in? The family that you are a part of? How does God's workmanship display on the billboard of your life? For us as a church, Two Rivers Presbyterian Church, how does the way that God has designed us as a congregation in the North Charleston area? We meet here every week at North Charleston Elementary School. But if something happened and we no longer met here, Would that even affect the school? How are we impacting, as a church, how are we impacting this school and the the surrounding area? With the church office over on, on Montague, what kind of impact are we as a church having just on that street? And I say we because I'm part of that as well. This isn't just, you are not doing enough. But us, as the people who come here every week to worship God as part of Two Rivers Church, how are we displaying the glory of God wherever we go, wherever we meet? This isn't just, you need to do more. This isn't that at all. It's, you and I are designed with a purpose to display the glory of God. And are we doing that? Am I doing that? Are you doing that? Because God's love and grace and mercy is on display. Or it should be on display in the life of those who love Him. And so I want you to to ask yourself, let, let just... To examine your heart and ask, will you squander your purpose? Dead in your own sin, yet somehow trying to make your own name great? Or will you remember the depth of the death that you once were found in? And the glory and the hope that you have become? And the wonderful love of the one who made you that way. Will you tell the story of God's glory? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I'm overwhelmed for words because all I can think of is thank you. That we, all of us here, were dead in our sin and yet not because of anything that we had done or anything that we ever will do, but because of Your love for us, You made us alive. You call us Your children. God, so we say, thank You. Father, as we leave here today, let us always remember that we are a display of Your your mercy and Your grace. Not in order to try to earn Your love, not in order to try to, to be in better standing with You, but because You loved us first and made us Your own, that everywhere we go, we are reflecting Your glory. Remind us of that glory. Remind us of that love. And let us share it Everywhere we go, we thank you, God, and we love you, and we pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.